Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. Anybody ever have a critic in your life? Uh, now, sometimes that's your kid, right? I mean, y'all know sometimes your kids like to be your critics, but I'm not necessarily talking about family members. I'm not talking about, uh, I think it's very important you understand the influence that you have in your family when it comes to criticizing. Uh, I think especially if you're, if you're married, man, nobody can encourage your spouse like you can, uh, but nobody can discourage them like you can too. And so you gotta be aware of that. But I'm talking more about like just those outside influences, those outside voices, the outside noise that, that all of us at one point or another have to deal with. I wanna, I wanna just say this, I, I felt convicted. I needed to bring attention to the fact. I believe with all my heart that we are living in the last days, okay? And, and I think it's very, very important that, that you are aware that even prophetically speaking, according to the word of God, there is a short checklist of things that need to happen still before Jesus comes back. And, and I think it's incredibly important that you have an urgency in your spirit. I, and I've just been praying that the Holy Spirit would bring some conviction in all of our lives around the priorities of our time and what we do with it. Uh, because there, there could be in a moment, in an instant, it could happen at any point, in a moment, in an instant, we're gonna stand before God and, and all the things that we thought were so important that weren't about his kingdom and really weren't that important, we're gonna have very clear perspective. And I would rather us just start to get it right now and start making the decisions and making the adjustments of living our lives with eternity in mind. But when it comes to the last days, and I'll just say this too. If you're not sure, like I, I, there are people that spend all of their time and all their lives studying end time prophecy, okay? And I'm not suggesting you should do that because most of those people are weird and they don't have friends. Uh, but, but I do think it's important you have some base knowledge of end times prophecy because it's about your faith. And, and I think it's important for you to see the signs of times. Like for instance, the Euphrates River is drying up. That is a major end times prophetic thing that has to happen before Jesus returns. So, uh, so one book that I feel like is pretty balanced when it comes to approaching end times prophecy is called The Tipping Point by Jimmy Evans. If you want to get caught up and have a basic understanding of the times we're living in, what it means for you, what it means for the church, prophetically speaking, I'd encourage you to check that out. But when it comes to these last days, Jesus told us all about it. He told us what to expect around this. And I wanna read a couple of scriptures that he cautioned us with. Matthew 24, that whole chapter really is where Jesus lays out hey, this is what it's gonna look like in the last days. And, and, and it's not a very positive chapter. It's not like super encouraging, but it just, it lays it out. And <clears throat> sorry, I'm dealing with, anybody have allergies in the house? Anybody at all? What is growing right now that I'm allergic to? It's driving me crazy. But, but he is, it's, it's just Arkansas, is that what you said? Arkansas, yeah, okay. <laughs> love it, <laughs> love it, so fun. Where is fall, by the way? Uh, golly. Anyway, I digress. Uh, Jesus lays out in, in, in Matthew 24. I feel like there's been so many times in the last few months of my, uh, my life, I'm just like, man, it's just like Matthew 24 playing out right before my eyes just every day. 
the stuff's happening. A couple things he said. One thing he said in Matthew 24, verse 10, he said, and then many will be offended. Hello. We'll, be, we'll betray one another and we'll hate one another. Anybody see any of that happening at all? Just crazy. The saddest thing in that is, <clears throat> is what the church is doing to the church. In so many instances, the body of Christ, attacking the body of Christ, uh, it just plays right into the enemy's hands, I think. In Luke 17:1, also, he, he said this. Then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. Impossible. But woe to him through whom they do come. So in other words, like, hey, this is gonna happen. There's gonna be people that are gonna try to offend you. <clears throat> it's gonna happen. You can't avoid it. But I do think how you accept offense is the difference between you becoming a victim to offense and being offended or just seeing it as an attempt of the enemy to try to get you offended and get you distracted. And, and I think you can't see that. And that, that's what I wanna talk about today because one of the number one ways that people will try to bring offense is by criticizing you. Our critics, every single person, sooner or later, you're gonna have to deal with criticism. It's not if, it's when. It's gonna happen. And so you have to prepare yourself. Otherwise, if you're not prepared for when criticism happens, then you will be caught off guard and you'll be defensive and insecure and you'll wind up getting really angry. And you'll wind up forgetting about the truth of God's word and his plan and his purpose and what he says about you in the middle of that. God wants you to be ready so that you're not swept away either in your own flesh or just completely distracted away from God's plan. So the Bible talks about this all the time. 1 Corinthians 16, 9 says this. There is great opportunity here for effective work, even though there is much opposition. I can see that around me. Tons of opportunity, tons of opposition. Uh, I've been describing to people that this has been a season of harvest and hostility. And I've talked to a lot of people like, yeah, that, I can relate to that. Like, in other words, the enemy has been coming against people. Simultaneously, God has been producing so much blessing. And I'm thankful that I can see very clearly that God's harvest in this season is far greater than any pitiful little attack the enemies try to bring against us. I'm thankful for that. In 2 Peter 3, 3, it says, it's important for you to understand that in the last days, scoffers will make fun of you. And in Philippians 1, 29, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering with him. Yay! But this is a part of a Christian walk. I would say this. If you are not finding yourself in some fashion being criticized, being talked down to, mocked, or even hated because of your faith, your faith has stayed way too private. You can make a private decision to follow Jesus, but your faith is meant to be public. People should know you're a Christ follower. Jesus was the only one who got criticism 100% right his entire life. We see many people throughout the word, prophets, disciples, run in fear from criticism and threats. One guy cut someone's ear off because of criticism. 
uh, one guy just got completely overwhelmed by panic attacks because of criticism, someone criticizing him. King David, most of us are familiar with him. He was a bit of a mixed bag when it came to the subject of criticism. He lived this extraordinary life. He had this epic tale of killing a giant, uh, returning the ark back to Jerusalem, uh, just an, uh, an incredible king, warrior. He was God's anointed. And he had to overcome a lot in his life when it came to criticism. When you see him, though, at the end of his life, you would think, man, what, what would someone like David say at the end of his life? Like, to me, I would expect it to be this amazing speech followed up with the release of a worship album, you know? Like, like th th that's how you would expect David to end his life. It's like, man, we're gonna miss him. Have you heard his new album? Oh, it's powerful, you know, exactly what we expected. And, and so, but at the end of his life, he calls his son Solomon to come to him. And so Solomon comes and he starts off pretty good. Like he's like, hey, Solomon, never depart from God's decrees. You know, if, you will, if you'll follow him, worship him, God will bless you. But then it turns into like a scene from The Godfather. He's like, come a little closer. I want you to know when I'm gone, there's a couple, couple people I want you to take care of for me, all right? Like, hey, I, 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 there's a couple of people that I, I have some offense towards, um, and I want you to kill them for me. So being a follower of the word of God, I called my son Corbin into the room this week, and I said, Corbin, when I'm dead, there's a couple of people uh, I just want to make you aware of. And, and, and I just, you know, take care of them, if you will. I'm joking. I didn't do that. But, but I understand, like, when you're dealing with criticism from people, man, it can make you really angry, irrational, hateful. Listen, we're not always going to ace this subject. Uh, David didn't actually get it right because one of the people that he actually told Solomon that he wanted to kill is the guy that we're gonna talk about today that he handled criticism initially correctly. Okay, so we're not always gonna get this right, and there's grace. But I do think that God would want us to figure out how to handle criticism. Growing up, I dealt with a lot of criticism. I, I received criticism a lot growing up uh, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, one that sticks out to me and probably sticks out to a lot of you, how many of you received a lot of criticism because of the clothes you wore? growing up. Anybody in the house? Like, I, I got made fun of a lot because of the clothes. And, and so there were five people that just raised their hand. So everyone else, jerks. Like, yeah, yeah. I hope, I hope, I hope you get convicted now when I tell you how it made me feel, okay? But look, we just, we didn't have a lot of money, you know? And so it was important as kids, as teenagers, like you wanted to have the cool clothes, but we just didn't have the cool clothes, right? So let me paint a picture for you. <clears throat> I wore Rustler jeans, okay? Those, those are like the generic brand of Wrangler jeans, okay? So nobody, nobody's probably, and maybe a few of you, you know, like Wrangler jeans, like if you were raised on a ranch or you rode horses and stuff, like they had a functional purpose, you know? But Rustlers, no, no. Like Rustlers were like on the bottom shelf covered in dust below the Wrangler jeans, not anywhere close to the Levi's, because how many of y'all know 
Levi's was where it was at growing up. Gotta get yourself some silver tabs so you can tight roll them, which has come back for some reason, okay? So I'm wearing rustler jeans, and then a lot of times the clothes that we would have, like if my, if my parents were working at a store that had clothing, or we did some like, you know, handiwork at a store that had clothing, we just exchanged that work for clothing. So at one point, my mom worked at a Christian bookstore. So I wound up with 12 Christian t-shirts, okay? Like that was my whole, that, that, was, that was all the clothes I had, and they were so cheesy. Like one of the shirts I had, it had all these ugly, mean fish on it, and they're all swimming one way. And then there was the Christian fish. And the Christian fish was swimming the other way. And it said, go against the flow. How many of y'all know that just wasn't cool? Like, like, like even the Christians are like, yeah, bro, you missed it. Yeah. One no more of that, no. Shoes were important, right? Shoes were important. Like you had to have like the right shoes. Like at that point, it was the Reebok pumps. Come on, some Reebok pumps, man. That's what all the kids, all the cool, you know, it was either the Reebok pumps or Nike. Whatever happened to Reebok? Like they're, I don't know what happened to them, but you had to have like, and I was like, man, I don't, just like whatever brand name shoe, that's all I wanted, just any brand name shoe. And so <clears throat> my parents tried. My dad winds up getting me a pair of Reeboks, okay? And I'm like, okay, sweet, Reeboks. Until I saw them, solid red, solid red. Now, here's the thing. As I'm painting this picture, right, like tight rolled rustler jeans, big baggy Christian T-shirt, solid red shoes, and I wore trucker hats, all of a sudden, every young person here is like, you looked amazing, Like, if I had those same shoes now, I know without a shadow of a doubt I could eBay them for about 1500 bucks. Somebody would buy those things. But here's the problem. Right around the time I'm wearing this ensemble, solid red shoes, around that time, McDonald's had a uh, commercial. And everybody knows that knows. This commercial had a jingle to it. And went like this, when you believe in magic, and I hope you do, you always have a friend wearing, yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Dad. So I kid you not, I could be walking down the hallway like going to the bathroom or something. I would walk past the classroom, I could hear people in that classroom. Well, when you believe in magic. And I wouldn't have minded, except none of them really wanted to be my friend. Yeah, I had to deal with a lot more criticism that wasn't as lighthearted as that. All of us have at one point or another, but as a result of that, man, yeah, I struggled. Uh, I, I, I had an overwhelming sense of justice too, so... At one point or another, when you get criticized for a long time, your heart can get hard, and, and then, then you can just get mean, and you won't put up with it. And then when crit people criticize you, it's like, no, you ain't. The Holy Spirit he still has to do a work in me. Like, I still have to catch myself when people criticize me. 
social media certainly has put all that under a microscope. Like, man, people can just say whatever the heck they want to these days, no matter how much of a lie it is, you know? And so you want to get on there, and I have. I'm pretty good with words, too. I'm just telling you that right now. Like, if you play me in sports, I can talk some trash, okay? So I'll type up something, like, oh, yeah. And then just erase it all and shut down the app, right? That's the spirit of God helping me out right there. But I want to take a look at an example when David handled criticism well. So our text is 2 Samuel chapter 16. I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture, so please stay in tune with me as I read through this. I read through this probably 20 times to make sure that I got all the names right and I will probably still not get the names right. So just have grace on me. Uh, King David approached Baharim. A man from there, from the same clan of Saul's family, came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. This guy's just bringing the smoke right off the bat. He just comes out, and he starts pelting David and all the king's officials with stones. Though all the troops and the special guard were, were on David's right and left. And as he cursed, Shimei said, get out. Get out, you murderer and scoundrel. Now, I would guess in the original language, like he probably brought it a little bit more intense than you scoundrel. Like, like I'm sure there were some like really stronger words than that digging in on David. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood that you shed in the household of Saul. In whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a murderer. Then uh, Abibashai, Abib, Abib, Abishai, Abishai, got it. Abishai, son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut his head off. Well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> but the king said, what does this have to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he is cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all of his officials, guys, my, my son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. So David and his men continued along the road while uh, Shimei was going along the hill opposite of him, cursing as he went, throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted. And there he refreshed himself. So a lot in here that I wanna, I wanna talk through and break down. A few truths about criticism. First of all, criticism stings more when you're vulnerable. David is in a mess. His son Absalom is basically, he has a coup against the kingdom. Uh, he's trying to take over. So David is hurting. He's hurting because he's thinking about everything that he's done for his son, Absalom. He's also thinking about the ways that he failed his son, Absalom. 
So he's got a lot of emotional pain and stress that's already going on. And criticism really hurts when it's piled on to something else that's already going on. That hurts. When you're already tired and lonely or you're just coming out of a failure or your family's broke down, as a standalone, criticism may not be that big of a deal, but when it gets piled on to things like that, then all of a sudden, man, it can be incredibly overwhelming. It multiplies emotional weight with whatever's going on when you have to deal with that. Okay, another truth about criticism. The best people around you can't shield you from criticism. Verse six, he pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. So this criticism was making it past the various people whose sole job was to protect David. The special guard, they, these guys were bad dudes. They were trained they could stop arrows, but they couldn't stop this. When you get hit, it's no one's fault around you. Like, unless it's coming from those closest to you, it's, it's, it's not your family's fault. It's not your friend's fault. It's not God's fault. Sometimes the enemy's working behind the scenes. But if Jesus went through this, then you will too. And the fact of the matter is, as a Christ follower... This is actually part of your calling. I know that's not the most encouraging thing you're gonna hear, but Jesus said, look, they hated me. They're gonna hate you too. You're gonna go through some criticism if you're a Christ follower. It's gonna happen. So I wanna talk and get real for a second about criticism because it shows up in, in a few different ways, basic ways. And it, and it showed up these ways in the word of God too. It shows up in rage. You can write these down if you want. Rage, so just hatred, spewing out on people. It shows up in racism, either being racist or stirring up the demonic spirit of racism. That's the way that it shows up in our culture, also in the word. It shows up in resentment. Resentment, and that's like that subtle, passive-aggressive undercurrent that's trying to cut your legs out from under you. Like people are, are not, when they're resentful towards you, it's not that they're just not doing anything. A lot of times they are actively trying to cut your legs out. They're, they're trying, basically, they wanna see you come up short on your dreams. They want you to come up short on the things God's asked you to do and called you to do. It also shows up in rumors. Now, this is where the people who start rumors or the people who love to hear awful rumors and hope with all their heart that they're true, which is just as bad as the people who start them. And if that's you, you really need to repent. You really need to repent. God talks a lot about a gossip. He talks a lot about people who sow seeds of dissension, especially in the body of Christ. He does not have a lot of patience with that. I think you should make sure that you get that right because right now you're outside of the plan of God. So David gets hit with professional guards around him. And the guy that's throwing the stones, he has accurate aim, but inaccurate information. And that's exactly what it's like with people who criticize us. 
typically speaking, they don't have accurate information at all. But man, do they have good aim. Man, they just know how to get you right in your gut. Well, when resentment comes, you can't really be shielded from it. It's going to happen. Number three, with critics, you really have two options. And we'll get a little more practical now. The first response is to react or respond. Then Abishai, son of Zariah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and cut his head off. Okay, that's a bit of a reaction. Abishai is clearly in the flesh. Angry words, angry spirit with angry plans. Now, I will say there's been plenty of times in my life where, where I would say, you know, this, this is probably not God, and I would encourage you not to be like Abishai, but it sure feels good to have a friend every once in a while like Abishai, right? Like that one friend's like, oh, no, they didn't. They're not, I'm not, we're not gonna let them criticize you like this. Like that friend that say, hey, James, I know this spot in the deer woods. No one would ever know. And I'd be like, no, stop that. Get thee behind thee, Satan, but keep talking. Like, tell me what, and this is why I always keep at least a couple friends around me that are saved, but just barely saved, all right? Because I think everybody needs a couple friends like that. But you know what? This is where cancel culture comes from. This angry, reactive, aggressively trying to eliminate any kind of dissenting voice. People that respond in their flesh, they only want to have people around them that agree with everything they have to say. That is the culture we're living in. Maybe some of you have been guilty of that. Like, oh, no, no, you can't say that. You can't have a different opinion. I am right. You are wrong. Blocked. Unfollow. Well, that's the reaction. Or you can respond. Verse 10, but the king said, what does this have to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he is cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? Right, right in this spot, David is being spirit-led. He, he gives the benefit of the doubt that maybe God is the one that is allowing this to happen. That even though God may not be causing this, he knows God wants to use this. And he can use it and I'm gonna to choose to let him use it. And David certainly had the ability to absorb some blows, but this is the character of Jesus. This is a foreshadowing of it. No one had to go through more criticism than Jesus. But he just trusts that God's mercy is gonna be upon him. He trusts that. And what, what David allows us to do is, is David puts in perspective that this criticism that's coming from this guy is nothing compared to what's happening with his family. Like that was a much bigger issue. And when you're spirit led, you will bring those really just unimportant things down to their proper size. 
And I think that's really important. You've just got to step back and get some perspective. In light of eternity, what, what does this criticism really do? It doesn't matter. And I get tested on this all the time. It happened at the end of the game last night, right? At the end of that game, I just had to say, in light of eternity, God does not care about a football game. And when it comes to heaven and hell, am I really gonna invest any more emotional energy in a game in comparison to souls? The word of God, truth? I've gotta let the Holy Spirit and let his grace put things in proper perspective and bring them down to proper size. Because here's the thing, when you handle a critic in the flesh, it means that you're going to have to set down what God has given you to be faithful with to go pick up your offense to try to get back at the critic. And the picture is this, God has handed you some responsibilities. And all of us have to be led by the Spirit and led by the conviction and the standard of, word of, of the Word of God to, to look and see, okay, this is what God has actually asked me to carry and handle. And all of us have that calling and all of us have that responsibility. But anytime you make the decision to react in the flesh, you set those things down and you go pick up something in the natural world that is temporary. And unknowingly, you play right into the enemy's hand. You, 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 at that point, you could win the argument and completely have lost the battle because the enemy loves for us to respond in the flesh. There are times you can be so right you're wrong. And for any of us that have that overwhelming sense of justice, we gotta be aware of that. Just because you say the right thing and with the right words, but not led by the Spirit with the right tone and the right way and the right timing doesn't mean it's right. We have to be Spirit-led with that. You can either react or you can respond. Criticism cannot stop the will of God unless you stop. Criticism cannot stop the will of God unless you stop. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted. That's amazing leadership. Because <coughs> here's the thing. This is a 21-mile journey. Okay? And they're, they're on donkeys and walking. So this is 10 to 12 hours of putting up with this. 10 to 12 hours of somebody throwing rocks at you cussing you, criticizing you. I don't know about you. It, it, it'd be hard for me to go 100 yards putting up with that. For 21 miles, they put up with this. And David never gets sidetracked. He stays focused on where he's going, and he got there. And I find that too many people fold and give up and give in at the slightest amount of criticism. Like the fear of man drives them way more than the fear of God. And they just make the decisions like, oh, okay, well then what do you want me to say? How do you want me to say it? I'll just do it that way. You can't give up 
don't quit. God hasn't brought you this far to bail on you. And if you feel like, man, I'm just on a really rough road right now dealing with this, I want you to know that Jesus has off-road capabilities. Like he can help you navigate this. You just have to continue to trust that his grace is sufficient. His mercies are new every morning and lean into that. I'd also encourage you with this. When it feels like you're walking through hell, don't stop there. I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me. When you feel like, gosh, this is just the worst season ever. This is hell. That's the worst place to quit in hell. Keep walking. Let his grace and mercy sustain you through and out of that place. He will. He'll show you. And last thing is this. Refresh yourself in the Lord. Second part of verse 14. And there he refreshed himself. The Hebrew word is the word nafesh. Nafesh. It means to be breathed upon by God. Man. David knew. I need God to do for me what nobody else is gonna be able to do for me. There is a time where that's just gonna be the truth. It's just gonna be the truth. Look, I, every once in a while, you may need to put out on social media for everyone to know what you're going through. But there's gonna be times when, look, there isn't gonna be a, praying hands emoji that's gonna be able to refresh you like the presence of God. And you're just gonna have to get in his presence. So the question is this, how do you refresh yourself in the Lord? And let me say it again, but, but with a different emphasis. How do you refresh yourself in the Lord? Because God has uniquely created you. And the way that you get refreshed from God may not be the same way that everybody else gets refreshed from God. But you've got to figure this out. How do I get refreshed? So I want to tell you a couple of ways I get refreshed. There are times, look, I, 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 I can have all the people in the world praying for me, believing for me, and it is still difficult. It's still hard. It still can get discouraging. And I have to refresh myself in the Lord. So one of the ways I do that is in nature, for me personally. And I got this from my dad. He got it from his granddad. But, but sometime when you can, if you like nature and you feel like, man, that, I think that is one of the places the Lord refreshes me. I want you to try this. I want you to go and stand in a place where there's not a lot of things made by man, where you're just looking at God's creation. And I want you to start at the ground that's just around your feet. I don't want you to think about the complexity of every blade of grass and how that is created. Every rock, every stone. I don't want you to consider the fact that God is aware of that ground. There's nothing that is happening in that square foot in front of you that God is unaware of. Ooh. The process of photosynthesis in a plant, God is aware and control of that. And then I want you to begin to lift your eyes up from that spot and go a little further. 
truth of the matter is, I, I, I can't get much more than 10 feet away before I'm overwhelmed with the goodness of God. And the fact that his word says that as much as he is aware of all of those details, you can look as far as you want. And then you do it at night, and then you're really going to get overwhelmed. Because you're going to realize there isn't a star or a galaxy that he is not aware of, in control of. And his thoughts for me outnumber the grains of sand. He's got me. That refreshes me. Another thing that refreshes me is I pray in the spirit. I pray in my prayer language because there's times when my own intellect, my own knowledge of what's going on is just incredibly insufficient. And I'm gonna have to tap into something supernatural. And so when I pray in my prayer language and I just tap into the counselor, the helper, power, it refreshes me. I get refreshed in the Lord. And, and sometimes I'll just pray in the spirit until I feel joy hit my heart, you know, or peace. Another way is that I get refreshed personally, that I refresh myself in the Lord is by serving people. Because it's a biblical principle, he who refreshes others, will he himself be refreshed? And I do find that sometimes I just get a little bit selfish. I just get a little turned in. And when I start serving other people, it helps me lift my eyes up and see other people's needs. And it's amazing. It's a supernatural deal that when I start serving other people, especially people that are hard to serve, God refreshes me in his presence. I don't know what it is gonna be. It might be worship for you. It might be studying and meditating on the scriptures. I don't know what it is, but you have to know how you refresh yourself in God's presence. You have to know that. Sometimes it is fellowship. Some of you, that's the way you're gonna be refreshed. You just need to be around a bunch of people that'll refresh you. But you gotta figure that out. Every week we, have, we give an opportunity here in a little bit. We're gonna give an opportunity and our heart behind this is to give you a chance to refresh yourself a little bit, you know? Just spend some time. And, and I'd encourage you, take advantage of that. Don't, don't be quick to run out of this place. Don't, don't worry about where you gotta go after this or, oh, I wanna get my kids before the line gets too long or deal with traffic getting out. I promise you one moment in the presence of God where you are refreshed is so much better than getting to a restaurant before the crowd shows up there. So much better. But I also know there might be some people in here, man, you need your soul refreshed. You need salvation. You don't have that. I don't want to give you a chance for that right now. Just close our eyes, bow our heads. If you're here and you know you're away from the Lord, one indication would be this. If I asked you the question, hey, if you died today, do you have confidence about where you would spend eternity? 
The fact is this, that every person who's called on Jesus is their Lord and Savior. They have a lot of confidence about that. They have confidence about eternity. And if you don't, that, that may be an indicator that even maybe even if you've always called yourself a Christian or always done the church thing, but, but right now, man, you, you don't feel this confidence and security that God loves you and he's with you. And, and when Jesus comes and returns and he calls us home, that you know without a doubt you will be counted in that assembly. If you don't have that confidence, I, I know the heart of God is for you to be able to walk out of this place with all the confidence in the world that he sees you, he loves you, and that you can be forgiven, have relationship. So for whatever reason, if you know you're away from the Lord and you need to call on him and maybe you need to come back to him, I wanna give you an opportunity and I want you just to be confident enough to admit it, just confess it before, before God. For me as your pastor, just to say, yeah, it's me. That is you. I want you to put your hand up right now across this room. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. But I just want to affirm that you're making this decision and I'm with you. I'm going to pray with you. Yes, man. Got you. Anyone else? I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm away from him. Got you right here. Anyone else? I need Jesus. Look, you raising your hand and me seeing you is not what gets you saved, but you raising your hand and you just doing that as an act of your will. I know it's releasing faith inside of you. It's releasing, it's, it's opening you up that much more to the presence of God. So there might be somebody right here. It's like, man, I don't want to raise my hand. I don't want you to see that. I don't want, first of all, that maybe that might be a little bit of pride, but even if it's not pride, it's just, the reason why I'm asking you to do it is because I promise you, the moment you admit that, the moment you say, ah, it's me, you're gonna hit grace. You're gonna feel grace hit your, your chair, hit your heart. Is there anyone else? I need to do that. I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? Okay. Father, thank you so much. I, I saw you right there. Thank you. Father, thank you so much for those few hands. I, I just wanna do this. We're just, as a church family, we're gonna pray with them. There might be somebody around you. They, they need to be able to pray this with some confidence. So I want every person in this room to repeat this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, I need you. I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I believe, Jesus, that you died for me on the cross. You paid the price for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness and I repent. I turn away from my sin and I turn towards you. Help me to live for you. Help me to understand your word. Help me to be led by your spirit. Help me to be connected to the body of Christ. I surrender to you as my Lord and as my savior. Thank you for my new life, the hope of heaven, my purpose, my calling, in you. Father, thank you for every person that prayed that prayer. Some of us that didn't raise our hand, but man, we needed to pray that prayer. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love, your mercy. God, I just pray that we would be a people that as we enter into these last days, as we're, we're living in a world and a generation that 
It's post-Christian. We recognize that, but we also haven't given up hope. And we know that you are still moving. And we know that you're calling out a remnant of people that will still hold firmly to your truth, to not be shaken by the whims of culture, but to be founded in your word, secure in the body of Christ, connected and led by your spirit, that we don't respond the way the world does. We respond the way you would want us to respond. Thank you for giving us that. We need your grace and mercy to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.